song and now we just come before you and worship you in the word and presentation. We ask that you let whatever you would like to be spoken today be heard in your son's precious name. Amen. Genesis chapter 9 starting at verse 18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him and said unto him, Cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants, shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. This is kind of an interesting section because people have lots of misunderstandings about it. <laughs> they have lots of issues with it. People will talk about a curse on Ham, and it's actually uh, Canaan who was cursed. And over the years, I've struggled with this one, especially when I was younger, because it made no sense. Um, I've done a lot of study on it over this last week because I knew it was last two weeks because I knew it was coming up. <laughs> and this is probably one of the most controversial sections if you do any research on it they will give you everything from you know the really bizarre family incest going on with this and and all these things but we want to look at it and take it for what it says and I do want to point out though I want to read a couple verses because I've always had a problem with the way it's normally interpreted by most people that Ham committed the sin and Canaan was cursed because that's not biblical okay why do I say that's not biblical is we're going to flip through a couple of verses for you. Deuteronomy 24:16, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And that would include the curse. Um, in Jeremiah... Jeremiah, <laughs> thought I had it marked. Helps to turn to where I got it marked. <laughs> 3130, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. And then in Ezekiel, going through all these books that many of you have read hundreds of times, and this is your, these are your favorite books, I know. <laughs> Ezekiel 18, verse 19 through 20. Why say ye, why doth not the son bear the iniquity of his father? When the son hath done that which is awful and right, he, and hath kept all my statutes and hath done them, he surely shall live. The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of his father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of his son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. 
I read these verses just because I want to help get us a biblical framework as we look at this section. Okay? And it's very important, and we've talked about this, we need to know what Scripture says, and if you want to find out what Scripture means, you compare Scripture to Scripture, and that's what Paul says. You know, we don't just come up with our own ideas on what Scripture says by it sounds good to me, <laughs> because we are fleshly beings, and we can come up with some really bizarre ideas if we follow that kind of thinking. So we want to look at this. First off, let's look at what they've just gotten through. They've just come off the ark, and it says that Noah plants a vineyard. And it's kind of interesting because you've got to remember, as we get closer and closer to the end days, we're seeing more and more wickedness. We're seeing more wicked thoughts. And we're also seeing how the church has been influenced more by the world in this day than the church influencing the world. And it's kind of amazing to me that how easy it is. If we're not very careful about staying in the Word and listening to Scripture and listening to teaching, how easy is it for us to get our minds twisted away from Scripture? Why? All you have to do is watch TV right now. How much controversy is there with our new president being inaugurated, and he hasn't even taken office or made any decisions, and he's already being protested by everybody and their brother who who does not want a conservative platform to go forward. And so what do we hear on our news? And I've been listening to it a little bit, is all this negativity about how all these other groups are right, all these sinful activities are right, and how we have to accept them, because that's what they say when they're interviews, you have to accept us because this is who we are. Well, you're sinners, but that doesn't mean you have to be accepted. God does not accept sin. But we've got to think about this. Noah and his sons and their wives lived in this environment very similar to what we live in. Noah was saved by grace. And he was declared to be a perfect man, at least by comparison to the rest of the world. <laughs> and yet we see that he's got problems coming off the ark. And we see that his sons obviously have problems. <laughs> They're not as righteous. They, they, the only reason they got saved was because they were Noah's sons. <laughs> Especially we see that in Ham and his descendants. They just got saved because they were Adam's children. Or not Adam's, yeah, they were Adam's children too. Noah's children. <laughs> but we see this process going in place. And I love what Matthew Henry said in his commentary. He goes, Noah, who kept him sober in a drunken company is now drunken and sober company <laughs> okay and I don't know if that really means something to you but he kept himself righteous when all the world was going really bad but yet when it's just a handful of them and things are supposed to be more righteous he lets down his guard and falls we need to be careful as Christians that we do not let down our guard because it is so easy for us to say well, I've got this area. In your lifetime, have you ever fallen in the very place that you thought you were really strong in? You know, why did we fall in that strength? Because we don't put a guard on it, and it opens it up for Satan to attack. I know it's been true for me, and I've shared it with you. When I was a teenager, if anybody had told me that I would not go to church, I would have laughed at him and said, there's no way that it would become a day that I won't go to church. I got, got married, got a job, started trying to be ambitious, started working way too many hours in my job. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm not going to church for, three, for two years. That didn't mean I went off into all, all crazy, crazy things, but 
where I thought I was so strong and it would never happen is exactly where I fell. And as I talk to people, this is usually what happens. You know, I would never touch drugs in all my lifetime. And then you find them, you know, 10 years later strung out on drugs. You know, we need to be very careful. We need to put a guard on our heart and a guard on our mind because it's very easy to go down the wrong path, especially if we're not paying attention. Because usually what you're paying attention to, you're not going to fall into. People who have come out of alcohol and drugs and actually have gotten victory over them very rarely will go back to them because they put a guard on their heart. If they go back, they go back because they took the guard off their heart and go, I'm never going back. It was so bad. I remember what it was like. I'm never going back. And they stop putting the guard on their heart. Here we're seeing a family that's going to be in trouble. Canaan is the, is the father of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites that are living in the land of Canaan when Israel takes it over in the Promised Land. It is actually probably the fulfillment of the ultimate part of this curse, is that his family was virtually destroyed. So we want to look at this. He had many others that weren't destroyed. We want to look at this, and it says that Noah was drunk and uncovered in his tent. And this means literally that he was naked and shameful. What he was doing, we don't know. Why he was laying there naked in his tent, we don't know, but it was his tent. <laughs> so he had the right to be that way in his own tent. Uh, and his sons should not have probably been going into his tent. If you know anything about the way they laid out their tents, you had the family tent, which was what we would have called a living room, kitchens, tent, and then you had private tents for each of the people and I was sharing with Annie this morning as we were coming up. When I was growing up, my parents' room was pretty much off limits. You know, you could get permission to go in it, but you just didn't walk in to their room. The kids aren't supposed to, you know, when my kids were growing up, they weren't supposed to walk, just walk into our room for no reason. This is the situation that is there. Ham is where he's not supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you, Canaan was probably where he wasn't supposed to be. Because Canaan is the one that's cursed. So Canaan, I believe, did something wrong. And we want to look at this, and I'll tell you why as we get there, why I believe this. And it says, Ham, the father of Canaan. Now, I want to point out, in verse 18, it said, Ham, the father of Canaan. Verse 23, uh, 22 says, Ham, the father of Canaan. And down at the bottom, he says, Cursed be Canaan. Canaan's an important, important person in this story. <laughs> okay. Um, because... We read in here that sin falls upon, the curses fall, and the punishment falls on the person who's involved. It says that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brethren without. And nakedness here is an interesting word in Hebrew. It literally means that he saw all the body parts he wasn't supposed to see clearly. And this look means that he gazed at. Okay, he didn't walk in, turn around embarrassed. He gazed at. And again, we look back at what did they come out of before the flood. There was all this evil, all every imagination. So it probably was normal for him to think this way and act this way. Canaan obviously is worse. In the other part, when Noah wakes up from his drunkenness, he says he knew what his younger son had did, had done. <laughs> we, in our language, read son meaning your own son and daughter. In Hebrew, 
son is any male relative that comes from you or your sons or your grandsons or your great-grandsons and everything. And this is something we want to think about. He was drunken. He was passed out. By the, by the way it is, he was totally naked. And it says that he knew what had happened. And we're not going to get too graphic about this, but if there was something that happened that he knew about while he was passed out, it wasn't just somebody looking at him. Okay, we're not going to get graphic about it at this on this, but you, you know what I'm saying. Something happened to him, and he knew it. It had to be physical event that happened to him. So there is a school of thought that says that one of those sons did something to him, and I believe that it was Canaan because Canaan is the one that's cursed. And Ham walked in, saw what was going on, and going on, and instead of stopping it, walked out and told his brothers, you know, oh, you should see what's going on in Dad's tent. He had multiple problems that he had done. Now, I'm not going to get real strong on any of this because I'm going to tell you there's controversy all over this, this thing. People read so much into this that it's not in there. I'm just telling you what the words actually say. He knew something happened. It's kind of like the testimony of the guards when Jesus was resurrected. The scribes and Pharisees paid, paid, paid him off. And, they, and what was their testimony they told to their commanding officers and to Pilate? While we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole his body. Well, number one, sleeping on, on duty in a military is a capital offense. You can, get, you can be killed. But the second question is, how many of us know what goes on when we sleep? You know, when we're asleep, you know, well, that would be like you calling the police when your house is robbed. So-and-so stole, stole all the goods from my house while I was sleeping. The very first question the police officer is going to ask you is, if you were asleep, how do you know who was in your house? You may suspect, you may think you know, but you don't know. This is an event. Something happened to Noah, and when he came to his senses, he knew something had happened. So... We're looking at this to say, what is the scripture saying? Because Canaan is cursed, I believe it was Canaan. Now, the normal thing you're going to hear people say, and I'll give you the normal side and you can understand it. Usually people will say, God knew how bad Canaan was going to be, so Noah cursed Canaan because of what God knew he was going to do. Okay, and I'm just telling you that is what is, that's the reason they'll tell you that Canaan was cursed. And you're going to hear that if you listen to other pastors. That's what you will hear for the most part. Or you'll hear the really bizarre stories, which I'm not going to get into any of the bizarre stories. Uh, but I'm just letting you know, because I heard that growing up all the time. You know, God knew how bad Canaan was going to be. He was going to be cursed. And I'm thinking, okay, I've read these verses that say that you pay your own sins. You don't, get, you don't get punished for somebody else's sins. And it never made sense. And I've had this problem many times in my life where somebody has taught something and it makes no sense to me. And I go, God, I need to know the answers. And again, it's not something I'm going to say you have to believe. I'm just telling you why I believe it, what I believe, because that's my job is to tell you why I believe what I believe. And you, when you are out there talking to people, you tell them what you believe and why you believe it. And again, this is not a salvation issue. It's not something I'm going to say you have to believe this or else. This is just why, what I believe and why. Ham was, did not is not the one that's being punished in this. Canaan is being punished, so therefore Canaan did something. What he did, I don't know. Okay, it could have been as simple as he was standing there looking at dad, and Ham didn't take him out. But again, because 
Noah knew something when he came to his senses. I think something more than just looking at happened to him. So he gets up and he says, he knew what his younger son, and as I said, son, remember, it can be any male uh, child from that line. And it says that Noah woke from it, he knew what he had done, and he said, cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. Canaan, Ham's people, are the ones that settled in most of the Middle East and Africa. We look at Canaan, and I've already told you, the Jebusites and the, and the Canaanites and the, all those different people, the Pezites and all those other ones that lived in the Promised Land, who got to be so evil that there were no words for sexual sin in their activity. They, that's how bad the, promised, the people that lived in the Promised Land were, which also tells us why Canaan was probably doing more than just looking. His whole descendants are going to be sexually rampant in their lifestyle, which is why God sent Israel into the Promised Land and said, destroy every living person in that land because they were so evil. And that's going to be the conclusion of that, that curse. And they were going to be the servants of all the people. And then it said the blessing. It's kind of interesting when we look at the blessings. He says in verse 26, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Shem is the one that the Israelites come from, and most of the Asian population comes from. Shem and his people moved uh, east, and they populated all of what we consider Asia and Persian area and on, on across. And it says, blessed be the God of Shem. Was, Shem didn't actually get a blessing. It was God who got the blessing. But it also said the God of Shem. Shem was going to be blessed. Japheth, he gets a different, he gets a different blessing. And we look at Japheth's blessing and it says, God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. Japheth goes up through Europe. And later on in verse chapter 10, we're going to learn that Japheth's family filled the islands. They became mariners and started filling, filling much of the world. So we, we're going to talk next week a lot about the, where, where they all went and the different nations that they, they, talk, that they started. But we're just looking at this section, the blessings and cursing, but also the idea that just because they had been rescued from sin, rescued from the destruction of the world, it really did not change their hearts. We need to be so careful to make sure that we have the new heart that Jeremiah talks about. When God, when we become Christians, when we come to God and we go, God, I'm a sinner, I deserve punishment, come into my heart and save me. I accept that gift. He comes in and he changes our heart. And then because he's changed our heart, he's living in us, we have this chance to be able to live correctly as we fill our mind with his word and we fill our mind with his way of doing things. We can start doing things correctly. Will we ever be perfect? No. And that's why we as Christians need to be careful that we don't judge, number one, judge other Christians. We're all at different levels of our experience with God. Now, is there sin? Yes, we all sin. Even as Christians, we're going to sin at least once a day, if not once an hour. It's just the way it is. We need to be careful that we're not sitting in judgment of others. But you know, it's even more important that we don't judge the lost world. Why? 
They're living in their nature. They're living in their nature. They know no better thing than to sin because that's who they are with no power in them to be good constantly. And you know the hardest people to reach are those who think they're good. I kind of like the fact that sinners sin. It makes it real easy to minister to them and convince them that they're a sinner. Who did Jesus have the hardest time with was the scribes and the Pharisees. They did not know him. They did not know God. And yet they thought they were good because they followed the rules to the best of their ability. They thought. Righteous good people are hard to minister to. Sinners are easy to minister to because they know that they need God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Do we as Christians truly believe that? We need to be able to understand that is a true statement. No matter how good or kind somebody sees, if they do not accept the gift of Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. Hell is going to have a lot of good people in it. And heaven is going to be full of bad people that are saved by grace. Because that's all of us. <laughs> it's going to be full of sinners. Saved by grace. Covered by the blood of Christ. And it's an amazing thing. Sometimes when we get saved, we start thinking, well, we're somehow better than the rest of the world. Now, somehow I'm better because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. No, I'm not any better. I am just been given grace. And God gives me everything I don't deserve. And it's very important for us to understand this as we go into it, that this is in here. Then we want to look at the life span of Noah. Noah's going to live to be 950 years old. He lives uh, three, uh, 350 years after the flood. And I just want to put this in perspective for you. Noah would have seen, of course, Shem being born. He would have seen Shem's son, Arphax, being born. He would have seen uh, Saul being born. He would have seen Eber being born. And if you don't know who Eber is, next week we'll talk about him. He's the last of the long living people uh, in the, that we've got recorded in the Bible. Eber's son is going to be Peleg. Uh, Peleg in, says in, in Peleg's day, the earth was divided. And in two weeks from now, we'll be talking about Peleg in, in particular because there's a lot of information about Peleg we want to talk about. Peleg's son was Rual, which many of these names probably don't mean anything to you because most of you probably, as, we, as I've said before, when you read the genealogies, and so-and-so begat, okay, flip, flip to the end of the chapter, uh, get on with the story. And I've already told you, I love the genealogies because there's so much, in, so much wonderful stuff in it. Uh, Rual... He gave birth to Sharu. Then we'll get to a name you may or may not know. Sharu gave birth to Nabor. Noah is still alive when Nabor is born. And I'm not sure if you remember who Nabor is, but we're getting there. Nabor gave birth to Terah. That may, may mean more to you by now. Terah gave birth to Abram. Noah is still alive when Abraham was born. He only misses seeing Isaac by 27 years. Can you imagine 
the situation you're at. Abraham could have gone over and talked to, how many greats is there? Five or six greats? <laughs> Great-grandpa Noah and found firsthand what was going on at the flood. Now, whether he did it or not, I don't know, because we don't, it doesn't tell us that they ever met. But I want to put that in perspective. The length of time that he lived was long enough for Abraham to have, to have been able to know him and go talk to him. Because we kind of get this when we read these, read these genealogies, we get this kind of idea that, okay, we're way, way out there. Well, we are way out there, but they're also living <laughs> way out there. Well, I won't, won't get to Eber because Eber will be next week. We'll talk about Eber next week. Uh, but I just wanted to bring this out because most of us don't think about this and that. And if anybody would like to, I've got a graph that shows all these people and how long they live. And you can picture, you can actually see how long some of these people lived and everything. You know, that's how much I love the genealogies. I've, I've played a lot with them. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring that out. He lived a long time. He had influence on a lot of the world to bring uh, this is who God is. This is who our God is. This is how powerful he is. And we all know that a first-hand story is always more powerful than a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth-hand report. So you could be hearing people go, well, tell them about the flood. Well, no, yeah, there's no way that can be that. Well, let's go over to Grandpa's house, and, we'll, and you can go talk to Grandpa and tell him that he doesn't know what, what we're talking about because he was there. Or they tell them that no, you know, Grandpa Noah was doing it, and you can picture the kids running over. Tell us about, tell us about all the animals being on the boat, and God sending you the animals, and the rain falling, and you know. wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to heaven. I, I, one thing I think I want to do when I get to heaven is go talk to some of these people that have been in the Bible. And, and would you tell me your story personally? Especially Noah being 950 years old. Well, Noah and all these people, all these different people, would be wonderful just to talk to them and find out. Would you fill the rest of the story in? You know, I've always kind of wondered, you know, Jesus and the disciples were sitting outside the temple watching the people drop their money in. And it says the widow came in and put in her two mites, which was all that she had. I heard about a year ago, I heard a pastor say, and it stuck in my mind. <coughs> Have you ever wondered what the rest of that story was? What happened to the widow after she put that money in, in her faith with God? What blessings did she have when she got home and somebody dropped off a box of food at her house or whatever it might have been? I don't believe that she died with that much faith and trust in God. But it would be wonderful to know the rest of the story. These are the kind of things, the little stories, the little, little vignettes that are just dropped in there. I kind of think I'd like to know the rest of the story. I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that might seek out this, this widowed woman and say, what happened after you put those two mites in the, in, the, in the offering? Tell us the rest of the story. Because isn't it wonderful how many times, and I love testimonies. I love testimonies from people when you can get people to tell, them, tell, you, tell you their testimony. Why? Because first-hand information and stories are much better than everything else we have. And I've said it many times. The Bible is wonderful. We know it's true. But it happened... 2,000, 4,000 years ago. The world has a hard time accepting it. Biographies of Christians are wonderful. And they build our faith. But they still happened 100 years or more, depending on how old the biography you're reading is. But when you hear somebody tell their story about what God has done for them, 
number one, you know that it's true because you can interrogate them. You can ask them the questions. But doesn't that build your faith just a little bit more than all the other stuff? I'm not, I'm not discounting the Bible. I'm not discounting the biographies. But that first-hand message of what God has done in that person's life is important. We also need to put down uh, markers and memories of what God has done in our own life. How many times have you been sitting in your room totally depressed because God's not done anything for you? Because things are so bad, all you're concentrating on is the bad things that he's done for you. That's when you need to come up and say, God, you've done this for me, you've done this for me, you've done this for me, you've done this for me. And you know what happens? Just as the song says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. When we start looking back, even in our own life, and it's easy. We've all been there at some point in our life where everything seems to be going wrong. And we're going, you know, you know, we'll be like David in the Psalms. God, nothing's right. Everything's wrong. I'm so depressed. I'm terrible. Why aren't you, do, you know, where did you go? We need to remember, this is what God's done. This is what God's done. This is what God's done. And, you know, sometimes... You just need to be around other Christians who will share what God's done for them. And then it starts to remind you that God's still working in your life. For me, when I'm in that place, for me, the best thing is for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Whenever things seem to be bad in your life, and note that I say seem to be bad in your life, God has a reason for it. God allowed it to be in your life. Take comfort in the fact that God is still in control. When it looks like God has lost control, remember that God is still in control. <laughs> and when you're in the midst of the storm, it sometimes looks like God has lost control of everything. We need to keep in mind full trust in the scripture. God is always in control. He always, nothing comes my way unless he allows it. If I mess up and I choose to do wrong, it's still God allowed it and has good that will come out of it. It may come after we get our spanking and our discipline, but it'll come. Because he's going to say, you made, you made mistakes, you will get disciplined. We need to understand God is always in control. He was in control during the flood. He was in control after the flood. He was controlled before creation. He'll be in control after the destruction of this world and the new creation of heaven and earth, he will still be in control. He is always in control. And that should comfort us, even when everything seems to be totally out of control. Grab hold of God and say, God, I don't understand any of it. I don't know how it's going to be good. I don't know how it's even in control, but I'm going to trust you. Because we will all go through trials. Always. Trials are part of life. And what does God say to do when, the, when we have trials? He says rejoice. Rejoice in the trial. Okay. Now he didn't say rejoice because of the trial. He does not say rejoice uh, because you got tried, that you're in pain, that you're hurting. But we rejoice through and in the trial because God is in control and he's trying to teach something to us. He's trying to say, one of the biggest things I say, one of the things he's saying is, do you believe him? Do you trust him and what he says? And how many times have I said this? When you learn something new in the Bible, 
whether you're reading it on your own or you're listening to me speak or some other pastor on the radio speak or some other pastor in a church speak and you learn something new or you learn a new depth to something that you've already known, be ready for the test to come to say, do you believe it? It's always going to happen. Get used to it. If you haven't figured it out already, I'm telling you, it will happen. You learn something from God and he's going to test. Do you believe me? God says, I'm always with you, and he's going to put you in a place where it seems like he's not with you, and he's going to say, do you believe me? Do you believe that I'm with you? Do you believe that I'm always in control as everything's spinning out of control? Do you believe that I bless you when, you're, when, you're, when you do good, when everything looks like you're not being blessed? And notice these words that I'm looking, saying, seems, looks. We look at things from a human perspective, and if it's not immediate apparently apparent to us why it can be for good or why, why it's what I'm being taught, we get all bent out of shape. God's perspective is just a little bit longer. Just a, just a wee bit. <laughs> you know, he looks at eternity. I mean, think of Joseph. Joseph has these dreams and his brothers are going to bow down to him and his parents are going to bow down to him. And his brothers decide they're going to sell him into slavery. And if you remember their words, it goes, let's see what's going to happen for this, this dreamer's dreams now. <laughs> that he was sold into slavery. Do you realize that he was a slave and in prison for 13 years before he was promoted? How many of us have trouble waiting an hour <laughs> for God's answer and deliverance? You know, if we're real spiritual, we might be able to go a week to a month. You know, if we're really, really spiritual, we might be able to go a year. Joseph goes 13 years without rejecting God during that period of time before he gets the conclusion. Abraham's told he's going to have a child. At age 70, he's told he's going to have a child, which is pretty old to begin with. He gets to wait 30 years... <laughs> before he gets his child. Now, he's a little more impatient, and if you know the story, he ends up with Ishmael and all these other th problems going on. But he has to wait 30 years before he gets the child that he was promised. Why am I telling us this? We need to learn patience with God. When things seem to be all going wrong and nothing seems to be going right and we don't see how it can be good, we need to be patient and say, God, you've made these promises. I'm going to hold on to these promises. And for me... When things are going wrong, I use these verses all the time to comfort myself. Now, in my 20s, I learned the hard way. Don't try to comfort somebody with those verses if they don't believe those verses because they get really angry. Okay? But I'm trying to encourage you before that, really trust in these verses <laughs> because they are a comfort to you when everything seems to be going wrong and you say, God, I know that you said. And I've shared with you many times. There's times when I've actually prayed, God, I don't understand it. I don't see how it can be good, but you have said. It is for good. And remember, it's not for necessarily your good. It is for good. And that may be just somebody else looking at you and saying, wow, that person's staying faithful to God. And they come to God because of your faithfulness through the trial. And we said this before, the loss of a child, the loss of a, a close relative, the, the loss of a spouse is not a good thing. Okay, and I'm not going to try to make people think it's a good thing. But God will make good happen through it. 
And it could be just as simple as somebody looking at it and you say, well, that person just lost their best friend and yet they're holding on to God and being faithful. And it encourages them to be faithful in their smaller problems. And this is something we have to keep in mind that this is what it's all about. Being faithful to God. Holding on to his word. We start with the idea that we've become a Christian in the first place. We accept the gift that God gives us. Because without Jesus Christ's sacrifice and him giving us his life, we can't be any of these things anyway. All we can do at best is have a disciplined flesh that goes to hell without Christ. But because of him dying on the cross and for our sins, his blood covers our sins and we can be redeemed and have a new life that trusts in God. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask that you guide and lead us as we go forward in this week and that you will show us what you would have us to do. And Lord, as we get ready to go through the tests that we're going to face this week, that we learn to just have faith that you are the God that cares for us, that you will not allow anything to come that we cannot handle through you, and that you will give us the power to get through it and that all things work together for good. And and Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this message on the tape that doesn't know you or in this room, that we ask that they will accept that they are a sinner, they deserve punishment, as you say, then you are the way out of that through the acceptance of your gift that paid the price of those sins. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.